Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. On the show this week, I have Mark LeMay. Mark is the owner and primary instructor for Auto Aid Technical Services out of Ontario, Canada. I get connected with Mark through Jamie Holmes, who's been on the podcast and does some instructing for Mark. Um, They offer mobile diagnostic services as well as technical training in person and online. Um, I'm going to include a link in the show notes if you'd like to check out the website and see what they have to offer. Um, But we're going to be talking about that in the podcast, what they're doing, his experience in the field, how he got to be where he's at, and then also some of the uh, differences uh, between the certification requirements uh, between the U.S. and Canada when it comes to automotive services. But uh, really cool to get to meet Mark, a super smart guy. Hopefully you'll enjoy this as well. But with that out of the way, let's jump into the episode. I'd say for the most part, uh, the conversations that I have with people, it flows pretty well and I don't have to edit much out besides like if my dog barks or something you know (laughs) yeah mine's actually sitting underneath the table here oh perfect yeah when when uh, i'm actually at my office so uh, we have a training center and a bit of a studio here so when i don't have um, people in he comes to work with me he's a big suck oh okay yeah i got my lab sitting right behind me on the couch so she likes to hang out and listen to the podcast i guess right on (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, Mark, thank you for joining me this evening on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Um, so, uh, Jamie Holmes, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, he suggested to reach out to you and potentially have you on the show. Um, you're up in Canada as well, I presume. Yeah, I uh, we're about forty five minutes north of Toronto, so uh, okay. we're in a, we're in a town called Barrie. It's about one hundred and fifty thousand people, and uh, for the most part, we run our business. Uh, well, we have an office here uh, in Barrie, and when we're not on the road training or whatever, uh, pretty much everything gets done out of here. Okay, the business itself is kind of a three part thing. We have. Um, uh, a diagnostic truck, which is a mobile stuff, which is, uh, when I went into business for myself, that's what I started doing. And, uh, I hired a guy, a uh, young guy about eight years ago, and he does most of that now, probably doing 90, 95% of it. Okay. Um, we bring in vehicles here that are really problematic so that I can work on them, uh, at the shop here. So we run the diagnostic service, which is mobile stuff, which you're very familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, we we do quite a bit of training. Um, right now, we're pretty heavy into EV and hybrid stuff. Okay. And uh, I sell diagnostic equipment. Oh, nice. All right. So you're uh, 
you're all over it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so how, when did you start or how long have you been doing the diagnostic mobile portion? Started in 2000. Um, okay. Kind of. was kind of, um, oh, I don't know what you would call it, but it was kind of a, um, I kind of reached a point where I had uh, sort of, gone about as far as I was going to go working for anybody else. And okay. I, I had, I'd kind of worked my way up to service manager at a GM dealership. And I, I was, you know, it was kind of a goal of mine. Uh, I, I wanted to do it. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, the car and all the perks and that kind of stuff. And when I got there, it wasn't anything like I thought it would be when I actually started doing it. And I did it for about four years. Um, but at the end of it, I kind of, you know, I had, I needed to make a change. So I thought, what am I going to do? And I, I'd known from uh, my years on the bench uh, doing primarily diagnostics and troubleshooting, stuff like that, that there was a big need for um, shops. When I was working on the bench, I, I was getting calls every day from shops in the area to come out and look at this or that or whatever. Mm. But uh, you know what? I'll, I'll take a chance on it. I'll give it a year. And um I had actually made a deal with my wife when I gave up the job. Uh, if I couldn't get the income back up where it was within a year, then I would I would look at going back and, and finding a job. And okay, um, thankfully it worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously it did. That's that's fantastic. Um, that had to have been a pretty unique service in two thousand. I mean, there was there a whole lot of, or did you have an example of somebody else doing that before you went into it? I had taken some training, um, uh, John Thornton, you know, John Thornton, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. I had taken some of him and some of his training at, at different things. And I, I, he told me what he was doing and I kind of, you know, in the, in the back of my mind, I, as soon as he kind of told me, you know what, there is a, there's a huge need for that. There still is actually, there's a growing need for it. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, uh, that is my true, uh, passion in the industry. I like figuring stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um, the fixing part, I don't care about. Um, and, uh, and that's what I did. I actually went down to probably the shadiest car lot in Toronto and bought a a used Aerostar van, (laughs) shoved a bunch of diagnostic equipment in the back of it. I had some flyers made up. And I just went through the yellow pages to all the garages in Barrie because I'd been working in dealerships. I wasn't really that familiar with the aftermarket. Mm-hmm. And I just went around to all of them and I knocked on doors and I gave them the pamphlet and I said, hello, I'd like to introduce myself. You know how it goes. Uh-huh. Um, and it was uh, it was kind of a unique experience, but I got enough work out of it to um, keep going and it, it kind of worked out. Nice. Yeah. yeah, boy, I haven't seen a Ford Aerostar van in a while. I, they were dying off as I was uh, a young tech, but man, well, you probably need a bunch of diagnostic equipment if you're going to drive around one of those. Just to it, <laughs> it wasn't new when I bought it, and when I got rid of it, uh, probably three, four years later, they actually had to tow it out of my driveway for scrap. <laughs> but, was it was it the doghouse that was about this big, yeah. uh, so you could barely get to the back of the engine? It's like, why'd you guys even bother putting this here? <laughs> well, 
I had worked with Ford for years. Uh, so I knew oh. the vehicle inside and out, and I knew all okay. the tricks to get around them and um, made a lot of money off of Aeroflars at one point or another. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, I mean, did you have a pretty good reception then uh, right away? I mean, obviously, you, you got into it after a year, but what's what was your experience going out on your own, knocking uh, on doors at shops, offering that service? Well, for starters, I wasn't used to going out and asking. Uh, pretty much everything uh, prior to that was part of the job, so the work came to me. And for the most part, it went pretty good. I I didn't get too much pushback from it. I have one. I had one guy though. His name was uh, George Keene, and he's still a good friend of mine. Now, I had never met this guy before, and I walked into his shop and I said, uh, "Hey, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Mark LeMay." Um, if you've got any problem cars, I can handle a troubleshooting on them. And I told him my race and he looked at me and he goes, that's what I do. What do I need you for? And I, <laughs> and I felt about that high. <laughs> and, and about a year later, uh, I was reintroduced to the guy. He's still a good client of ours, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, I was reintroduced to the guy, uh, through a, a mutual friend and we became golfing buddies. Mm. And I often kid him. I said, do you remember me walking in? He goes, yeah, I was a a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> funny how yeah. things work out. Right, right. Um, yeah, I had a I had a few shops that were just kind of a hard no, but for the most part, it really wasn't it really wasn't that bad. It was just like, okay, yeah, we'll take your card. Maybe we'll call you. Some do, some don't. Uh, the real for me where I saw it grow is once you do get your foot in a door with a shop right. and you show them what you can do, that's then right. that's where the selling happens. It's not me. I am not a salesman, but the, uh, you know, shop a is going to tell shop B, Hey, this guy will take care of your problem. Just call a hundred percent. That's, exact, yep. that's kind of exactly how it worked. And I also uh, offered and I still do. If, if I can't figure it out, I don't charge you. Yep. No, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I, I have some, uh, stipulations on intermittent stuff, but if it's a hard fault and I can't figure it out, I'm not, I'm not going to charge you. Um, what, what do you do for intermittents? Um, especially in depends a mobile how, situation. Yeah. It depends how intermittent they are. If it's like, you know, you got to drive it 10 minutes to get it act up. I, I'm okay with doing that on mm-hmm. site, but what we tend to do, uh, the young gentleman that, that does the diagnostic truck now for me, uh, his name is Jordan Kaseni. Um, what we try to do then is steer them here with a stipulation that uh, it may be a week or two until uh, we get it figured out, and, and we do it that way. And usually what I do is, depending on what it is, I'll throw a scan tool in it or a scope on it or whatever whatever it is I'm looking for, and I will just drive the car home. Or, okay. or Jordan will. Jordan lives about a half an hour from here, mm-hmm. um, and he lives up uh, – there's a major four-lane highway just uh, – outside of our office here and uh he lives about uh well takes him about a half an hour to get home so if it needs highway driving or something like that he'll take it if it's sort of in town i'll do it okay yeah i did that a lot as a technician you know in a shop because we could arrange with the customer but doing the mobile stuff i i pretty much I try to nip it in the bud when a shop calls. And like you said, 10 minutes is about my window. Like if I can't get it to do it within yeah. 10 minutes, it doesn't, doesn't work for me. Um, what's your, 
I'm just curious, how do you charge for something that maybe it takes an hour to act up and I don't need dollar amount, but like, what's the, what do you tell a customer? Is, is it, is there a flat fee? Is it depend on how long it takes to act up? What's the, no, it, um, so how we work our regular stuff is, um, uh, we have our, our regular rate and, uh, we have a 1.7 <laughs> hour minimum charge. Okay. And then once we work up to the 1.7, it's straight time at our, at our rate. Now what we do with the intermittent stuff, is we try to only charge them for the time we're actually working on the car. So if mm. we're driving back and forth to work or something like that, um, trying to get it to act up, I don't really count that because you got to go, you kind of got to put those miles on it anyway. Sure. But if I have to take time out of my day to, and, and just drive the car, that's a different deal because then it's cutting into other stuff. So that's yeah. why we, we kind of like to uh, drive the cars back and forth because it, it allows you to road test them. Mm-hmm. without actually you know having to spend extra time going taking it away from productive work yeah that's the worst when you got a bunch on your plate and yeah. you're trying to get this car to act up and it won't and so you're just like i know okay i guess i'll just drive this around somewhere <laughs> well and inevitably the, the minute you give it back to the guy he doesn't oh, yeah. get out of the parking lot and it does whatever but, it does like clockwork i can't tell you how many times that has happened it's almost comical it's like there's got to be some greater force at power that I don't understand where it's like, they didn't even make it out of the parking lot. I drove it for two hours. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, that's the worst. That's, I, I think it's one of the more, um, most challenging parts of doing this is if you're going to try to tackle stuff like that. Cause it's like, if I can, if I have a system and it's broken, I'm most likely going to be able to figure out what's wrong. I just got to figure out how it works, understand my tests and I can get there. Um, but man, if it doesn't act up, um, like I can test till you're you're blue in the face and all the tests are going to come back, you know, positive in some cases. Yeah. Anything you do on the car when it's not acting up is pretty much just an educated guess at best. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I, if it's acting up, it's, they're usually not that bad. Um, I have our biggest challenge today is um, inter, in, uh, information more than anything else, mm. especially when you get into like the beamers and that kind of stuff, getting your hands yeah. on good wiring diagrams and what have you are just, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Some of the Europeans or maybe most of the Europeans have linked their service information to the scan tool, the factory yeah. scan tool setup, right. And so you're kind of in the dark, um, if you don't have access uh, to that and yeah, just, just finding a code definition uh, can be a a complete struggle to say, okay, you know, what's the criteria to set this code? That's all I want to know. And I spent a half hour digging for it. So um, there that uh, definitely builds some value into having those factory scan tools and some of that stuff. Yeah. We have Otis and ISTA. Um, I just, I can't justify uh, the Mercedes tool. Nah, me neither. And their just, website is crap. I've like, never even used it. It's well, it, it the uh, the website in the U.S. is different than the website in Canada. The, the oh. U.S. website, which um, I've tried. They do everything by IP address. So as soon as they see a Canadian IP address, they redirect <laughs> you to the Canadian website. 
Mm. And I've tried like uh, VPN, spoof it, that kind of stuff. And I've got as far as a credit card payment. And as soon as they recognize a Canadian credit card, they just reroute you back to Canada. Damn. And, and how it works up here in the U.S., because um, I, uh, I, I know quite a few people in the U.S., um, you literally go in just like you would with GM, you username and login and you pay your fee or whatever. And you've got access to the site in Canada. Um, you, you've literally got to print off a, a PDF form, fill it out with your credit card information, uh, email it back to them. They've got 72 hours to respond to you. And then they'll tell you which three days they'll let you have access to the site for. <laughs> so it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. It's uh, crazy how certain manufacturers are so helpful with the aftermarket and others are obviously against it. Yeah. The Europeans are the worst, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. I 100%. Um, I, and I avoided them a lot for a lot of my career. And now I'm being drawn into them more because that's, that's what shops struggle with the same as what you're talking about. And so I guess yeah. the one good thing about them is if you figure the stuff out, um, or, or get the access, you can definitely charge accordingly. Um, yeah, we, we charge, uh, we charge two hours plus a premium rate to, mm -hmm. to, even, to even look at them. Just, yep. yep. You have to. Yep. For sure. Yeah. It's got that, that German logo on it. It's uh price going up. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, uh, you also have a training business. How did that come about or, or you can tell me about exactly what it is too. So, um, we do, uh, technical training. I had done some training in the past, uh, when I when I um, was on the bench, I actually did some um, uh, our apprenticeship program and our licensing is done under an organization up here called the Ministry of Skilled Development. And uh, <clears throat> I had done some stuff for them in the 90s uh, on contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, through that, I met a guy by the name of Ron Brown. And uh, after I had started this, and, and we kept in contact, actually, I actually bought his tool business when he retired. That's how I came by the tool business. When um, right after I started this, he got a car a contract with CarQuest to do CPI training in Ontario. I think he had like 17 or 18 regions, he had quite a bit of, of regions and stuff. It was more than he could handle anyway. So he asked me if I was interested in, in doing three or four regions. So I, you know what, took a look at it. The money was pretty good. Um, and at that point, I was doing everything I could to make a buck because I was just sort of getting my feet going with, with the other stuff. And um, <clears throat> so I, I agreed to it. And within a year, I had uh, 15 of the 17 regions that I was doing myself and oh, wow. getting all kinds of calls from other jobbers to um, do my own stuff like Napa and uh, a, I don't know if you guys have Best Buy or um, oh Uni Select bumper to bumper. Okay. Those are oh. big jobber chains up here. And, we have Best uh, Buy, but it's a electronic store down here. Okay. No, up here at the jobber chain. Okay. Um, kind of like a Napa, but not as big. Sure. So, I, you know what, I took a look at it and I went, yeah, well, you know what? Um, 
I was rewriting half the, the, the car quest stuff anyway to suit me. And I thought, you know what, I can, I can do it. So I, I put a price out there, uh, in hindsight, it wasn't enough. Um, but you know, live and learn. And, uh, they, um, I had several contracts within, within a matter of a couple of months and they wanted kind of like every month they wanted new stuff. So I started taking stuff I was getting from the diagnostic truck and building course material out of it. And, uh, um, I've been doing it ever since. Nice. Yeah. Kind of worked out. So I look at the diagnostic stuff now. Uh, it is a profit center, but it's not a, it's, it's not a huge one because I have to pay an employee. Um, mm-hmm. but I look at it as paid research. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, and building class studies. material. Yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of case studies and stuff out of it. And, and I find when you're teaching something, you can talk about something, um, ABS breaks or something, and then go into case studies and show them how you sorted stuff out or whatever the case may be. And it just adds that um, little bit extra to it. And I also find with yeah. our training that um, I try not to put anything in it that they can get out of a service manual. Okay. Because it, I mean, they can look that stuff up. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, you you don't want somebody up there reading the service information to you. I, I've sat through classes or sections of classes like that. I'm like, okay, we can we can do this by ourselves. Um, sure. But adding that, um, you know, the case study, it, it like builds a story into the information that you're trying to give them, and everybody gets engaged. Well, not everybody, but a lot more people get engaged with the story rather than just this is how this car works. Right? Well, absolutely. And now with uh, with with everything either being on a laptop or a tablet, it's easy to record the screens and insert the videos into I use PowerPoint. Um, not only that, when we talk about, uh, I don't know, um injectors or whatever we you can you can show them scope screens actually live screens using current probes and that kind of stuff which they're, they're certainly not going to get in um uh like a service manual they don't support that stuff right right yeah the the real life stuff is good right. and I, I i think the case studies out of shops are really good too because you know, you're getting calls for that. That's something a shop ran up against a wall with. And so the, the, you know, the class material that you're sharing with other technicians, Hey, this is real life stuff that people struggled with. Um, this isn't just the broken car that I'm talking about. This is a broken car that stumped somebody or so challenged somebody. Um, and so it ends up being really good information for that next guy or the people willing to invest the time to educate themselves. For the most part, um, yeah, and, and in a lot of cases, not all, but the, the majority of people that are that are paying and showing up for training are kind of, they're into it anyway. Yes. Right? The guys that don't come are the, the actual problem guys because they're, they're not learning anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can lead a horse to water, but. That's, that's the way it works with so many different things in life. Um, I, I play rec league hockey and when i was first getting into it we were we were like really you know serious we we thought we were in the nhl or definitely weren't but like we'd have practices and stuff and the people that really needed to come to practice would never come and then everybody that would show up not that we didn't need the practice but like 
we weren't the ones that really needed it. And so, you know, it's the exact same thing that you're talking about in the automotive world is the ones that need it the most don't show up. Um, but I don't know. Well, it's, it's one reason why we have a mobile business. If, yeah, if everybody yeah. was good at this, there would be no need for it. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know how you're finding it, but, um, we're actually getting quite a few calls now from dealerships. Yeah, I've been getting into a few dealerships, kind of my foot in the door with some programming stuff for their used car department. But then, yeah, yeah, once they figure out, oh, okay, we can call this guy, I'll take care of it. Um, it it's, uh, yeah, it's growing for sure. Um, not a good indicator for where the industry's at, really. I mean, yeah. they have everything for for their particular brand of car. And right. you know what, it, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the tech. Yeah, there shouldn't be any shortage of information, you know, which, which like you mentioned before, is a roadblock for a lot of people is uh, I just don't have the information to get through this. But at the dealership, you would think that they have everything that they need. And then it's just a matter of sorting through it and understanding your tests. But yeah, um, you see a lot of people that just, uh, they don't have the desire to get to the solution, you know, through testing, all that stuff. They just uh, kind of the opposite of what you mentioned earlier. Like you want to diagnose a problem. You don't care about the fix. There's a lot of people out there that they just want to fix it. They don't care, right. you know, how they get to what's the bad part. They just want to put that bad part on there and, you know, make their check. Well, uh, and, and you know what? That's why um, direct hit or identifix. I think I to a certain extent, when you go in and look at their fixed database, I think a lot of people use that sort of thing, the silver bullet type approach. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and I think in a lot of cases, you know, I, I most, I shouldn't say most, uh, well, it is probably most, don't have the skill set to really tackle complex problems. Mm-hmm. They can, they can do the run of mill stuff and, and fixing the car, um, I said for years, I just actually did. I was in Ottawa last week, uh, last weekend. I spoke at a convention there and uh, I kind of let off with, you know what? It's not fixing a car. That's the problem. It's figuring out what's wrong with the car so that we can fix it. That's where the issues are. And, um, you know, uh, add to it. We're dealing with technician shortages. I'm sure you guys are as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, a struggle for quite a few years now. Uh, for shops to find work. And in the last couple of years, the volume of work uh, that shops have had uh, has gone up uh, significantly and the workforce is just not there to match it. And so I I know a lot of guys in the last few years that are facing that burnout, just shop owners, technicians, because they're they're trying to get everything done. They're trying to handle as much as they can. And it's just nonstop because they've got very little relief as far as you know other people um but uh yeah that's uh that's that's a tough one uh you know i taught for a while at a community college and um you know we did our best to recruit at the high school level and we go and talk to kids and our, our program was uh full for the most part uh which was good but it's it's definitely work to get out there and market our industry to draw people in. It's not a easy thing to do. No. And I think, 
in Canada, when uh, we send our, our technicians to college, it's all paid for by the government. Okay. So we have a formal apprenticeship program up here. And when they do their school sessions, um, it doesn't, it doesn't cost them anything out of, I think there's a, I shouldn't, I think there's a $400 registration fee that they have to pay. And then they're allowed to collect unemployment while they're going to school. So they're getting paid oh, wow. and going to school at the same time. Is that for all trades? Uh, all what they call red seal trades. Okay. Okay. So, um, automotive, uh, service and repair is a red seal trade. Um, electrician would be a red seal trade. Plumber's a red seal trade. Marine mechanic is not. Okay. Um, so it, it just depends sort of on the trade, but even with all that, uh, the government, so the government used to have, um, apprenticeship, uh, counselors that they, they were paid and these guys went around to shops and they signed up apprentices and stuff like that. They, even though the apprenticeship program is still going, they don't have anybody on the road recruiting anymore. And okay. a, a good friend of mine works at Centennial College. Now, a normal intake, um, he, he teaches fuels and electrical, and a normal intake for him is three classes of 40 guys, so 120 students. Okay. His last intake, they didn't have 20 guys in any of the classes. Wow. So they're half full. Okay. That's not, uh, that's not sustainable. <laughs> no, no. Um, I've, I'm sure you've heard the average age of the technician is uh, scary high. You know, everybody's moving closer to that retirement age and we don't yeah. have the, the people to fill those spots. Um, uh, for that, the Red Seal uh, thing that you're talking about. So when you, you know, meet your certification, mm-hmm. um is that something that a shop has to have or have so many technicians? Does everybody have to be certified to work on cars? How does it work up there? You, if you're working in, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of funny the way it works. If you're working in a garage, uh-huh. um, then you either have to be uh, a licensed journeyman or apprentice. Okay. But you can work in your backyard without anything. Okay. So it's, it's kind of hit and miss. charge for like compensation? You, like you can do work for other people that way yep. out of your backyard? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's a bit of a free for all. They, um, we, we did have some enforcement on it a couple of years ago, but it, it, it kind of died out with COVID and it, it's never come back. Okay. What is the certification process like in order to get that? To get your uh, ticket here, your license, you you attend. It's a 40, uh, trying to think now. Got it. I did mine back. I, I was licensed in 84, so it's been a okay. while. Um, at that time, it was 9,000 hours. It's still close to that, about four and a half to five years. Um you have to complete an on-the-job workbook showing that you've done this, mm. that, and the other thing. Uh, you do three sessions at uh, community college. Okay. Um, and then you have to write an exam uh, at the end of it, pass it. If you get below, uh, I think it's 75, 
might even be 78 or something. Anyway, if you get below uh, 75% and higher than 60, you, you get your license. If you get above that, you get, uh, you get your license plus what they call a red seal. Mm. And what that allows you to do, or we call it the interprovincial seal, but what that allows you to do is uh, you can go and work in any province in Canada. The license oh. goes across the country. If you score below the red seal limit, your license is only good in Ontario or whatever province you're in. Got it. Okay. So, um, so you'll have the technicians that are certified in the shop and then you'll have apprentices working under them, yes. meeting those hours. And yeah. then are the certified techs, the ones signing off on those job yes. sheets or how does that work? Yep. It's either a certified tech or shop owner. One of them has to sign off on it. Now I can tell okay. you from experience, most of those shop books are filled out like the day before you go and write your test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like a vehicle inspection. Just so, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the okay. other thing here. Uh, is once you're licensed, there's no requirement for you to do anything additional other than pay your fee every year. Oh, interesting. There's no recertification. There's no recertification. Uh, a, AS, it's ASE isn't big up here. No, okay. very few people do it. Okay. Um, which is unfortunate. I, uh, we did have, um, uh, they started this government body about six or seven years ago called OPOT. They were going to, they were to kind of look after that. Uh-huh. And at the time when they sort of um, commissioned it, they were looking to bring some kind of a yearly certification in, but it never, it never got off the ground. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting topic um, because, you know, down here in the States, it depends on who you talk to. Everyone's got different opinions, of course, but a lot of, people in the field feel that if we had some sort of, you know, certification that you had to meet in order to do what we do, it would, um, you know, kind of set the standard, set the bar for competency and pay and professionalism. You know, that's the, that's the ideal. Um, and we don't have that, right? Any Joe Schmo can walk in to a shop, give them a wrench. Here you go. Um, and there's no, you know, legal restrictions or anything like that. You can go ASC certified, but that's all voluntary. And, and there's no saying that you have to do that or shop has to have that technician. So being up in Canada and, you know, experienced in the way you have, I mean, what, what, what do you think is the better approach? Is there advantages to, uh, the way you guys do it, is there disadvantages? What do you think? Uh, a bit of both. Um, the advantage is they have to take a certain amount of training no matter what, which gives you a very, very minimal uh, skill set. <clears throat> so I don't have a problem with that. Um, what I think they need is a body that's looking after these guys in in. Uh, when when they're working in the shop, because for a lot of shops, apprentices are nothing more than cheap labor. Mm. So it's not unusual for a technician up here, uh, even though it's a five-year apprenticeship program, for the first two years to, be, to do nothing but oil changes and tires and, and crap like that. Even though he may have gone to school twice, he's not really 
uh, retaining it because he's not using it. Right, right. So what I think we need uh, is a body that's actually uh, measuring these guys, checking on them, I don't know, bi-monthly. Are you getting this, this, and this? And if not, then they need to be moved to different shops, stuff like that. The other thing I think we need is a, is a good mentoring program. Mm. We've got a lot of technicians with a lot of experience and stuff like that that are going to age out of this thing and all that, that knowledge and skills going with them. It's not being yeah. passed down. <clears throat> yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I worked at a shop as a very young technician and there was a guy who was a seasoned tech and very good, very smart guy. And he was getting close to you know, leaving the industry. Um, I think he was actually going to be electrician after so many years. But anyways, my, uh, my boss at the time said that very thing to me. He's like, I've worked with this guy for, you know, 15 years. He's incredibly skilled and intelligent. And all of that is just leaving the industry. It's just gone. And he was like, he was like kind of bummed out about it. He's like, I, I feel bad that that's that wealth of knowledge is gone. And yeah, being able to capture some of that before it goes away, I think would be, uh, I think it's important that we do that somehow or another. Yeah, but that would have to, that has to be managed and it's not. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then you, you go back and you look at the demographics. I remember um, I was at Vision before Kansas and do you know Chris Chesney? Uh, the name rings a bell. I don't, I don't think I've met him in person though. Um uh, he was head of CTI training for quite a while, um, and uh, he did a keynote, and he gave us the demographics, like the like the age of the technicians, and it was like half of them are over fifty five. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a huge number, and I'm thinking, man, oh man, if if all of those guys are gone, you know, which they would be over the next ten years, and that was four years ago. Yeah, that's an incredible amount of knowledge and everything that just walked out the door. So, yeah. I don't yeah. know what we're going to do. It's uh yeah, definitely an uphill battle for sure. Um, uh, I, I do look to some of the younger uh, trainers. And I guess when I say younger uh, in comparison, you know, the thirties, forties, stuff like that. Um, some of the guys out there that are doing some really cool stuff. Um, uh, go to these classes, like you're talking about like vision or, ASTE or or something like that. Um, uh, I'm just thinking uh, like Brandon Steckler and I took a class with Isaac Rodell and Keith Perkins and um, uh, Rich Falco. And, and they're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, and and I think it's connecting uh, pretty well with the younger group of technicians too. So. Hopefully, you know, that sort of stuff can draw some people in. But I've I've always said or or thought the best way, you know, to get the the younger crowd excited about this is just to show my excitement as much as possible. Um, Like it's contagious almost. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know there's an initiative going on here now where we're going um, to the public schools and doing like career days and that kind of stuff. And, and, um, um, I, I sit on the board of an organization called arrow automotive <laughs> aftermarket retailers of Ontario. And we've got some people in there trying to expose people to the aftermarket or not the aftermarket, but to the automotive trade. And I think that's a good idea. Um, 
a lot of these kids, you know, if, if they knew what they could do in a trade, I think they would kind of choose it. Um, but, the, but they don't know. And, uh, the guidance counselors, that kind of stuff, they're not exposing it to them because they don't, um, they don't know it either. They're right. basically, they can show them the academic path, but cause that's all they've done. Um, I don't know. I, the, been, the industry has been good to me. I've got, mm-hmm. I've got, I've got no complaints about, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and looking back at it, I was able to, you know, get into a decent uh, trade and a career without racking up thousands of dollars worth of debt, which, yes. you know, to kids today, that's, you know, they're, they're being saddled with 30, 40, $50,000 worth of debt to go to college or university. And they wind up yeah. working at Starbucks for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times the, the degrees don't transfer. Um, and that was, you know, one of our selling points too, at the college It's like, Hey, come take this two year course you know, spend 12 grand, you'll get a set of tools and we'll teach you how to use them. And you're going to be in a really good spot um, and not a, a tremendous amount of debt uh, to start your career. And I, I, I mean, I, I've done really well in this industry as well. Like it's treated me really well. Like you say, is um, uh, endless amounts of work, as much work as I could as do plus want, more. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> And opportunities too. Uh, that's one of the other things I, I told the you know kids coming in, like, do you want to be applying for a job that a hundred other people are applying for? Or do you want to be maybe the only person applying for said job? And and that's what automotive is, especially right now. Uh, just you got all the, the power. They're going to roll out the red carpet for you. If you can you know, show up and, you know, show your skill set but uh you're in such a good spot as as a technician in this field right now Uh, same thing up here i mean we've got some young guys coming in i've got a young guy that works for me um uh, jordan he's exceptional um i well let's see now when i was 55 i had a heart attack I was working too many hours on the road all the time training. So I would get up in the morning, uh, go out, be at my first job by eight, work till three or four o'clock in the afternoon, come home, get cleaned up, travel to where I had to, to do the training session. I was getting home at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and I would get up the next morning and do it all again. All the while, um, getting no exercise, eating crap, (laughs) And then uh, I had a heart attack and I, my, my, my cardiologist, he kind of looked at me and he said, after I told him what was going on, he goes, well, you've had your wake up call. <laughs> yeah, t- yeah. Time to smarten up. So uh, I started looking for somebody to take some of the burden off. And I lucked into uh, a guy. Uh, he's 32 now and he's, he's, he's booking his own work. Um, nice. In, in fact, sometimes I don't see him for two or three days at a time. He'll he'll come in in the morning and pick up the truck or take it home and um, uh, go out and do it. And if there's a problem, he'll call me on the phone, which is rare, or he'll he'll send something back here to the shop and we'll we'll handle it that way. But yeah, there are some bright lights out there. I just wish there were more of them. 
It, that's uh, that's well said. Yeah, there are some really talented people yeah. that are interested in the industry, and um, one of the important things is not to squash that excitement. If you do see it, you see that spark in somebody, um, especially if they've got some some skill set. Like, okay, let's let's grow this. Let's encourage them as much as possible. Give them every opportunity um, so that they don't go (laughs) elsewhere. Um, I I feel lucky too. I actually just recently hired my first employee and kind of, uh, I I think lucked into it as well. Whereas this is a a friend of mine. We went to tech school together, but he, um, he was going to leave the industry after about 20 years of wrenching. And he's just like, I'm tired of it. Um, you know, my body is not, doesn't like it as much as I used to. And I'm going to go drive truck. And that's what he was going to do. And I was like, well, Hey, how about, how about come do this? Try this out. See what this is like. And, um, he's super sharp guy, uh, knows the, the diagnostic side of it well, but, um, yeah, awesome. I feel really lucky to have uh, found him, and that's that's taken the burden off of me quite a bit too. Doing a one man show, man, that is it's a lot of work. And, uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because now you know what it's it's funny. Um, before COVID hit, I uh, 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 the wife and I went down to Antigua over uh, the Christmas break. We took three weeks off, and and Jordan was back here. Uh, we literally did a few texts back text back and forth. I was able to pay him from down there and you know what? I didn't, I didn't have a worry in the world. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. And like I said, he, he was, he was kind of lucky. I, when I put word out that I was looking, his dad, who's a customer, my still is his dad owns a garage. He was working for his dad and, and his dad come out to me and he said, listen, you know, my son, Jordan, and I knew him, but I didn't, I didn't know him well. I had kind of worked with him on some cars and stuff. I knew he was smart. Um, he goes, listen, uh, Jordan wants to get into the diagnostic side of stuff. He doesn't, he's not learning it here. Would you be, would you consider him? And uh, so we worked out a deal. And <laughs> now he goes back up and he charges his dad to work on <laughs> <laughs> We we cut him we cut him some slack and that kind of stuff, but uh, yeah, it, it it worked out. I spent two years with him, pretty much one on one in the service truck. Okay, and then he then I started to to wean back from it, and, and and like I said, now he's doing pretty much all of it. That's fantastic. Um, for somebody younger like myself, you know, I I'm just uh, getting to be about a. F- full year in full-time business. What would you suggest uh, to somebody that's just starting out down this road? And I know that's a pretty broad question, but I'm, I'm thinking about what you said with, you know, taking on too much and working too much. Uh, Any, any advice for somebody starting out? You mean uh, the the new guy that's, that's doing this or somebody that, that wants to kind of start a business for himself? Well, I mean, I guess either or. I like I said, I'm about a year in myself, so still pretty fresh at the business ownership portion of it. But I mean, yeah, maybe even somebody just considering, like, hey, is this a good route for me? Um, what would I do different? Uh, is kind of probably the way I would approach that. Uh, number one, I would have worked uh, a lot smarter. Um, I can be 
bullheaded, I guess is probably the way to put it. And my reaction to not reaction, but my sort of my approach to most things is the, the sort of the, the harder I work at it, the more successful I'm going to be. And I okay. did a lot of things that um, didn't make me a lot of money. Uh, could have probably worked a lot smarter rather than harder. Uh, some of the lessons that I learned uh, as far as invoicing, billing, getting paid properly, because in, in the beginning, I, I know for sure I, um, I, I uh, didn't charge enough. Um, took a while to get that up to the point where I was happy with what it was making. Same thing with the training. When I went into the training, I kind of based it off a little bit off what CarQuest was paying me. And uh, again, I came in too cheap. And the problem with that is, number one, um, you don't make as much. Number two, uh, it's it's hard to put the price up when you realize that you're too cheap. You're better off to um, start a little bit higher. But uh, I look back at a lot of the stuff that I did, like working outside on the ground in the snow and, and you know, and anything to make yeah. What what a fool. <laughs> it's funny, Jordan and I were just talking about that today. We've got a truck here, uh, ProMaster, that had a bad ground cable. When he got to the shop, uh, the friggin' thing was outside in, in, a, in a puddle, and it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. start. And, and yeah. he, he asked them to push it in, and they said no. And he said, well, okay. You know, kudos to him. And it took him a while to get this. He said, you know what? Tow it up to our shop and uh, otherwise we're not working on it. So we got it towed up here and inside where it's nice and dry and turned out to be a bad ground cable. So, Yeah, that's, 20, that's great 20 advice. 20 years ago, I would have crawled underneath that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, um, it was pouring rain here today. And yeah, there was, uh, there was a couple of them that were outside. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> um yeah, you know, it's almost like sometimes I like being outside the shop if it's nice out. If it's nice out. Um, you know, because then I don't have, I'm just kind of away from everything and I can yeah. do my thing. But the the elements are definitely challenged, which I'm sure you know all about. No question. <laughs> this, this time of year, it's it can be ugly outside. So yeah, let's get that thing in a bay. Well, you know what? It, 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 it it's kind of a point of contention they wouldn't put their own guys outside in that snow right yes and yet yes. they want want you to do it when you know what they're up against the wall on this vehicle otherwise they wouldn't have called you in the first place mm-hmm. it's like you know what i don't think so yeah not now um what else what other advice would i give uh if you're going to do this be prepared because it's it's non-stop learning like mm-hmm. he, even today, um, uh, I'm putting a class together on J2534. You're, you got your nose buried in a book all the time. And it just, it kind of goes with the territory. So make sure you like that kind of stuff. Now I find yeah. it interesting, mm-hmm. but not everybody does. Yeah. I think you have to have some sort of a passion for oh, it. For if sure. you're going to, if you're going to go this route, otherwise you're going to have, you're going to have a tough time if you're not enjoying it at least a little bit it's definitely not for everybody that's for sure very true right and uh (laughs) there is a fair amount of frustration 
at times, especially when, you know, you can't get the thing to uh, act up or you're, you don't have good information. You're trying to piece things together in your head to, to kind of make a mental picture of how it works. Um, and even like that, that can happen on anything. I think the manufacturers really should be forced to give us better descriptions on how their systems work and uh, what strategies the system going to employ based on certain faults. Cause a lot of times it's hard to deal or tell sometimes when you're dealing with an actual problem or the car is working out some kind of strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Or just understanding what the strategy is like, what yep. is it trying to do here? <laughs> well, we had a Jeep uh, going back a couple of years, but it came to us from a tranny shop. And the complaint was at times going down the highway, it would drop the second gear, the engine would scream, and then it would go into limp mode. Okay. So the tranny, the tranny guy said, it was, you know, they're all over the transmission because of this downshift issue. And, uh, you know, we got looking at it with the scan tool and dang, if the, the it, if it wasn't being commanded. Mm. So then we started looking around and what we noticed was the um, oil temperature sensor would intermittently go to minus 40. And oh. sure enough, when it went to minus 40, the transmission did the downshift thing. Anyway, we said, okay, so these all are happening at the same time. Yeah. Went in, sure enough, got some bad wiring on the the oil temperature sensor, fixed that up and solved the tranny problem. But that was a, if, if we had known about that strategy, it would have been a lot easier to fix the darn thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you don't have, that's, a lot of that's proprietary information. It's not in the service information. And um, yeah, I try to document when I run into, you know, something like that. I, I see a lot of circuit stuff uh, like um a communication between two modules or how does this thing react when there is a fault when there isn't a fault and i'll try to make some notes to myself on this because like you say it's just not it's not in service info like they might say oh there's supposed to be a square wave on this wire okay right. well when and when yeah. something bad happens what does it look like and then oh does it stop talking because you have to run the scan tool function, you know, things like that. And so I'll try to note all that stuff, but man, you run into something new every single day, every single oh, day I see something that I've never seen before. And I have to try to figure out and get my head around. So <laughs> same thing here. What we do, uh, when we run into that stuff or we do it two ways. If we find something interesting or if we, uh, are looking for case study material, that kind of stuff, so what we do is um, on all of our laptops and uh, our, our, which most of our scan tools are on laptops now, um, or or the Autel stuff. So the Autel stuff we use Remote View, mm -hmm. and uh, we can just record that onto a phone or something. So you've got all the video and that kind of stuff. But what we do is uh, we use a voice recorder. Okay. And we. Uh, record all the screens and then we've got another bit of like a screen record software that will record voice so we're working on uh, whatever um, let's say we're using a ford ids or whatever uh, we start the screen recorder it goes through it records everything and it'll record if we go back to the service information or back and then 
we're recording it on a voice recorder at the same time. So you get the thinking, why did I do this? Why did I do that? And okay. then at the end of it, we just throw everything in a folder with the VIN, make model year, that kind of stuff, and, and throw the voice file in with it. So if we have to go back to it in a couple of years, um, we can kind of make sense of it. Yeah. It's hard huge. to remember what you were thinking at the time. Oh, man. And all the different like intricate processes and circuit voltages and all that stuff. And yeah. I, I don't know how many times I'm like, I know I ran into this. I know I've dealt right. with this before, but I don't recall the sensor voltage when it's right. good. Oh, okay. I have this note and yeah, the voice recording, that's a really good idea. I'll have to see if there'd be a way I can add that to the way I store it. Cause yeah, I could be like, Hey, dumbass, don't do this that I just did. <laughs> don't, it will break this thing and you'll have to buy a module. <laughs> well, and you know what? That's the kind of stuff that's in there. Or, you know, scope screen 23 is uh, can bust with fault present or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So you know what the heck you're doing. Yeah. Um, or just, it's really yeah. hard to remember years later. But Yeah, and having... Um, I think a summary of a uh, a system on how something operates in your own words can be very helpful rather than sometimes the service info is either not very descript or wordy and like really hard to wrap your brain around. I can explain something better to me than the service info can. So I'll summarize it and having that to look back on and like, oh, okay, this is how these communicate and these need to be. Uh, on a CAN bus and then the module talks to it with a, with a K line, right? That sort of thing is fantastic to have, yeah. but you got to put some effort into recording all of that stuff. It is a little bit of extra work in yeah. the moment, but it pays off in the long run. Well, it does too. And it also, uh, when I want to put a class together, I can go searching through our files because we, we, um, when, when we put the folder together, so it's make model year, uh, trouble code, symptom, and the last date of the VIN. Mm. So when I go searching for it, so let's say I go to the GM folder and I want P0420. So I type in P0420 and all the cars that we had 420s on uh, come up. Okay. It's also okay. helped us a couple of times when uh, <laughs> we get a car, let's say in Aurelia, which is, which is just north of here, and it's got this problem. We go up and we tell them that it needs X. And then a week later, you get a call for the same type of car at another shop. And it, and you go through and it's like, wait a second. Yep, <laughs> that, yep. It's the same car. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Not, not too often, but I have run into that before where I got a call. I'm like, boy, I just got a call on one of those and show up and that's the same same vehicle. Yeah, well. They're looking for a second opinion. <laughs> they got the I'll, I'll give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yep. happened. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I like, like I enjoy it. I, it and that, you know what? That's the that's the thing. It's if you're going to do this at a, at a at a at a certain level, you got to have a passion for it. Otherwise, it'll just eat you up. Yeah, yeah. the The struggle and the challenge that you go to go through has to be worth it, and. Um, the satisfaction, the enjoyment is, is where it's uh, worth doing uh, for me. That's what keeps me coming back every day. Huh. Still feels good when you figure them out, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And even more so when it kicks your butt, right? And then yep. you finally get through it and you're like, awesome. 
I am, I, I got it. I'm moving on to my next one. Yeah. And that's um, something too, that, uh, when I do case studies, if, if, if we've made a wrong call or something, I'll put that in there too. Okay. Um, I think they, they need to know that, uh, you know what, nobody's perfect. You're going to, you're going to make some mistakes no matter what you do or how good you are. Um, yeah, it's, to me, that's just part and parcel. But obviously, you got to keep the mistakes to a, to a bare minimum. But I don't, I don't know anybody that's really kind of working at the top end of this thing that doesn't make a mistake here and there. Exactly. Yeah, it's not realistic if you're not no. showing the, the, you know, where you wrong path that you took or whatever. And I, I think that makes for a better presentation or class or case study if you include that stuff in there. Yeah, I do too, and it 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 it, it makes you more relatable to the class. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've seen too many instructors sort of stand up there and pontificate that they're, they're the, the, the best and all that kind of, you know what, that's not real. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think it does anybody any favors nope. to fabricate it in a way, you know, to make you look like I'm the hero and I figured this out in 10 seconds sort of thing. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily helping the person that is there to learn either, you know, nope. Um, no, and, and I think you, you come across wrong when you do that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. my next sort of challenge with Jordan is I, I, I now want to step further back. So mm, he's, okay. he's got to step further forward. So I'm going gotcha. to have to start getting up in front of some crowds. Okay. Uh, that can be a tough thing for a person, especially if they've never done it before. You can be really good at the technical stuff, but if you haven't gotten up in front of people and presented and taught, man, that's that could rock your world. Uh, certain people are great at it, but I, I definitely had it was a steep learning curve uh, for me when me I got too, into teaching. I was kind of a hermit. I, I, you know what? Give me the car, leave me alone. I'll be back yeah. when I get it figured out. Um, Do you remember like your first time ever in front of a group of people presenting a class? Oh yeah. I, um, kind of funny actually, uh, guys still around. So how, how I got into it was back in the nineties, the uh, the ministry of skills development was throwing money at uh, technical training and they were running a bunch of free classes really. And uh, I was working at a Ford dealership at the time. And one of the guys there had taken a class on Ford and he came back and he told the instructor, Hey, you know what? There's this guy at the shop. That's really good. Uh, he could probably teach this class. So the guy approached me. His name was Craig Shaw. I'll never forget him. Uh, good guy. But he, he kind of approached me and I, and I'd never done anything like that before. And I was nervous. I didn't want to, I was, you know, I kind of wanted to take a shot at it, but I was, um, nervous i'd never done anything like that i was definitely not a public speaker and he said don't worry about it we'll tag team and he says you learn it and he says i'll start you off and we'll do it together for the first night and kind of get you worked into it and i thought okay well that's not too bad so we get in there and there's about 50 guys in this room and i'm sweating like crazy (laughs) (laughs) he goes hey everybody this is uh mark lemay he's a really good ford guy and I'll see you guys at the end. And he walked out of the room <laughs> and I'm standing up there and I've got, I've, I probably went through two hours worth of material in about 10 minutes. I just, <laughs> I couldn't stop. And, uh, and about 10 minutes in this guy at the back of the room, he puts his hand up. Yes. He says, uh, 
hey, do you want me to come up there and do this? And I went, oh, you bastard. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. So anyway, I, I said, you know what? First time, let's take a break. Take 10 minutes. I'll collect myself. And you know what? It, it, from there, it kind of went okay. Yeah, yeah. Until uh, so you get over those nerves. No, I, yeah. I exact same thing uh, when I went into college teaching. Um, I, I have very little experience, and I remember my first day uh, it, when when I started. The way it worked out is I had to make my courses from scratch because the previous guy took all oh, of his wow. material. It was it's kind of like a bad break with the college, so he just took it all. I had a textbook, and that was it. So I had to make all my classes right, and I'd I'd never gotten up in front of a group and try to present the information. And so I built what I thought would be like two days of material um, that would take that long. Here's this, a bunch of info and all this stuff. And I was through it by lunch and I'm like, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> Cause I, I think I was moving really fast, like you were talking about, but I just didn't understand also the prep time. You know, if you want to present an hour class, well, it's not an hour of prep time. That's no. three, four, five hours to, for that one hour. Yeah. yeah. And um, that that was something I, I figured out pretty quick. But um, yeah, I, I do like uh, I do like teaching. I, I don't know if I'll get back into it anytime soon, but uh, it, it is enjoyable to work with uh, a class and students. Well, it, it sure forces you to uh, do your research and put it together in a way that um, allows you to explain it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I try to, I, I don't try to get into too, um, I don't want to say technical, is that the wrong term, but I try to explain things in the simplest terms possible. So when I, um, talk about an inverter, so the transistor switching, uh, the, the stator coils on or something, you know, I just, I tell the guys, you know what, these are just transistors. So they're nothing more than, than big switches. So if you think of them as a switch, you kind of get an idea. Um, yeah. That yeah. kind of stuff. Keep it, you know, keep it in terms that, um, make it easy to understand and yet explain, uh, what's going on. That's, uh one of the signs, you know, they say that you truly understand something is that you can explain it correctly, you know, effectively, but in the simplest way yeah. possible is, is, you know, as, as for a complex subject sure. that you can break it down, explain it simply. That means that you have, you know, crafted a really good understanding of what it is so that you can break it down to a simple level and that's how it transfers to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, people, they go in for like, you know, electron theory or whatever that, you know, however they teach electrical, <clears throat> most of that is, is pretty useless when, when it comes to working on a car, they need to understand right. electricity for sure. But, um, they need to understand voltage drops and what, what the numbers mean and that kind of stuff. So I usually use some kind of an analogy like a water hose or something like mm -hmm. that to explain it, which, which works out just fine. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, it's wherever a, there's a restriction, there's a change in voltage and, and give it to them like that. And it, then I kind of work back to a simple series circuit. And I don't like, I know in the college curriculum, they teach you how to calculate the resistance of a parallel series circuit and that kind of stuff. And I'm going like, 
when was the last time you ever did that on a car? Right. Never, never. Yeah. It's, it's important to understand the relationship between them. That's it. And it's also incredibly important. I found this with students is something that they can't see. They have to be able to build or or be able to see it in their head. They have to have a visualization of what's going on. And the water in the tube one is fantastic because yeah. Okay. It's not perfect. It doesn't, I get that's not how electricity actually works, but man, it helps you see what's going on in your head. And then it helps you figure out what's going on with the car. It it gives you the principles of operation that you can relate to an electrical circuit. And then what I teach them is, you know what, just break everything down into a series circuit and then treat it like the garden hose. And you know what, that'll get you to 99% of the way home there. Most of the time, the problem is half these guys, they don't understand basic electricity Mm -hmm. they want training on pressure transducers and scopes and that kind of stuff and then when you get them here and you show them you know the power side of an injector and every time the injector turns on the voltage drops to two volts they're looking at it on the screen going well that's what's supposed to happen injector turns on Uh, no (laughs) but they don't get it right you know that kind of stuff is causing a lot of problems and and Mm -hmm. it's basic basic stuff well, and that's, I'm sure you can relate, is most of the problems that we find with cars doing what we do is just basic, simple yeah. stuff. Maybe some weird symptoms, but it, the fix, the reason it happened is almost always very simple and basic. Yeah, a good portion of it is. Um, and and yet, and it's not just the aftermarket, it's the dealerships too, they they that that poor understanding of sort of basic electrical circuit testing it, it just kills a lot of guys yeah yeah for sure like the the pro master that was towed in here i guess uh what's today tuesday yep yeah well it was in here yesterday morning because he, he drove it out of here yesterday afternoon he he went in it, it turned over slow had a booster pack on it could get up so he, he basically put a voltmeter on the, on the block of the engine and put a ground cable of the, of the um, battery and it come up at like eight or nine volt or something. Goes, okay. I'm done. I know what's wrong with it. Yep. <clears throat> you know, and yet that was towed here from another shop. Right. They couldn't get it going. What they couldn't get it turn over fast enough to start the darn thing up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not an isolated incident, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. It happens, happens a lot for sure. So you, uh, Jamie said you guys work together for quite some time. Yeah. He hired me. Oh, gotta be 15 years ago or more to do at that time. He was the, one of the franchise owner for the master mechanic franchise up here. Okay. they, They hired me to do some training. And from there we've kind of built, Oh, we've become uh, good friends, built a relationship, and uh, we're looking at some things together. Um, uh, franchising the mobile stuff is one of the things that we're looking at. Okay. Um, putting together, you know, tool packages and that sort of thing, um, training program. Um, there's there's some other stuff that we're looking at as well. But, yeah, Jamie's a, Jamie's a good guy. He's a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. 
awesome he guy. He likes around with the electronic stuff, like taking chips off of boards and stuff like that. That's yeah, he came cool. down uh, to my neighborhood this past summer for uh, a course on that it was uh, the EEPROM and board level stuff. Uh, that's where we met, and yeah, super awesome guy. Um, your uh, your training company is it all in person? Is there an online portion? What's what's the name of it in case anybody listening it's, wants to? So attend? my company is Ottaway Technical Services. Uh, that's okay. our YouTube channel, so you can see some of our case studies on there if you want to go in and look. Okay. Um, we we do it three ways. So there's in person stuff, which was pretty much shut down throughout COVID. We couldn't do anything sure. that way. So we do web uh, webinars. Um, or Zoom meetings, whatever you want to call them these days. So typically what I do in, uh, I put together a list of 10 classes. Um, I broadcast them uh, three times over the course of a month. So we start in September, end in June, and I sell that as a complete package. And it's all done out of here. Uh, we also have a website, autoaid.ca, and they can uh, literally go in there and uh, join up. It's a membership type deal. And they have right now there's about 150 titles in there and they can just go in and look at them as often as they want. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll make sure to person stuff now. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll put those links in the show notes so people can uh, check that out if they're interested for sure. sure. Um, always good to have another resource. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, unfortunately, COVID sort of forced us into the um, webinar type stuff, the online training. Yeah, I yeah. It was always in the back of my mind that I needed to do it, but we were so busy with in-person training because I was typically doing uh, a typical year somewhere between 120 and 140 nights uh, oh, wow. on, the on the road Okay, uh, in-person training. And when COVID hit, um, it was... Uh, when they when they first talked about shutting things down, we were kind of sitting on the fence, and then they said we're, everything was shut down for two weeks. So I had a bunch of contracts, so I called everybody, and they said, hey, listen, you know what, with COVID, why don't we just push everything back two weeks? We'll still finish up end of June instead of middle of June. So I usually mm -hmm. took, from training, I usually took um, July and August off, because nobody wants to train in person in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So I, I always wanted to be wrapped up sort of by the middle of June, and then I could write and stuff over the summer and uh, what have you. So when they when for us they they shut it down in March of I guess it's 2020, and they said two weeks. So I thought, you know what, two weeks we can push everything back two weeks, and then uh, then it was they were going to shut it down till uh, September, and I thought you know okay. So and then I, so I lost pretty much a quarter of my year's worth of training March April may lost oh, it all yeah and uh when they shut it down they they weren't a hundred percent sure that they were going to open back up uh in september october uh, so and like, what am i going to do here um, yeah that's that's a lot of money so we switched over to the webinar stuff and um our first year we were down a little bit not a lot second year uh our sales were down but our net was up so it's like Okay, mm. I could do this. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then this year we're getting back to the uh, uh, in-person stuff. I'm not going to do nearly as much as I did. Okay. 
I'm going to do it, be a little bit more selective, um, maybe do some of the bigger stuff. But I was hitting every region once a month, pretty much, or once every wow. other month. Yeah, it's a lot uh, of work. It is a lot of work. And now I'm, I'm thinking once a quarter. Okay. Maybe, maybe three times a year. Yeah. I know uh, John Thornton used to do the traveling. He would come up here to where I'm at in Minnesota and a lot of other places in the Midwest. And I don't think he does that at all now. He's all webinar and COVID kind of, uh, you know, nudged him towards that. Um, but well, he was just up here in the fall to do uh, Linder Tech. Okay. Yeah. I think so he, does, well, he, he would tra- he would travel around just for like his classes. It wasn't like a, a conference or anything like that. Right. I know he still does like vision and things like that, right. but he would just come up here. Uh, they'd rent out a room at the college and he'd just put on his class. I mean, he'd be up here once a month for several months out of the year, but now it's just uh, online stuff. So I think it, it, a lot of the technicians, I don't think wanted to do it, but once they got a, once they got doing it, I think enough of them transitioned over. And the young guys coming in, I, I'm, I don't know. I think they would rather do that than the in-person stuff. They're more used yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, a large majority of them. I prefer the prefer the screen. There's definitely something to be said about that uh, in-person element, though. No question. And, and that's why I haven't kind of poo-pooed it all together um it's still like i don't know about you but it's still nice to get in front of a group of guys and connect with them a little bit you get yeah. better feedback that way than rather than just watching a chat box yeah uh, yep. that kind of stuff but by the same token i'm not i'm not running four nights a week anymore either mm-hmm. so yeah well it's good to good to have the options different ways to yeah. to do it too you know Oh, and then, uh, I don't know, we we run um, hands-on stuff out of here. Oh, okay. So So classes uh, where people are coming in and actually working on the cars? Yeah, and we keep it small. Uh, Typically, um, we can, I'll go as high as eight guys, but six is an ideal class. Okay. Otherwise, it's not hands-on, it's show and tell. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Um, right now we're, we're doing a lot of hybrid and EV. We've got, uh, four of them here. We bring them in. I've got some batteries out back. They, they take them apart and get comfortable working around the high voltage stuff and okay, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Are you going to be at uh, vision in March? I'm not going this year, but I'll probably go back next year. I am going to that TST, uh, event in, uh, New York. Okay. That's the end of the month. And then, and uh, no, it's next month, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay, cool. I, I'm I'm going to Vision. I'm not going to the TSC, but oh, um, oh. yeah. It's, sometimes you got to pick and choose which ones you're gonna you're gonna hit up. Yeah, Vision year. didn't work out. Um, I have a daughter uh, that just well, not just um, it'd be a year in May. Had her uh, our youngest daughter um, just had a, a baby, and we're gonna go out. Oh, congratulations! Day. Yeah. Third one, um, but anyway, we're going to go out for the christening. Okay. So that that kind of messed up my vision weekend. <laughs> well, got to do a, what you got to do, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, awesome. Well, um, thanks for spending some time with me this oh, evening. Well, I really appreciate fun. it. Yeah, great to meet you, and uh, hopefully, we can do that in person at some point or another here.
All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you to Mark for joining me. Really appreciated it. And thank you to everyone for listening to the show. Uh, Make sure to check out the show notes. I have the link to uh, Mark's website, which is Auto Aid Technical Services. Other than that, let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.